Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Better Call Saul of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Mortis Tragically Slain in Renaissance Fair Accident. More bigotry against goblins. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Man Chasing Skunk to photograph it. <laughs> uh, did you do that on one of your little woodland walks recently? <laughs> no, it could have been me. No, this is, that's, uh, no, I was, I was walking, I was, I was gooning around at night with my buddy and just saw some guy, a skunk, just waddle through the intersection. And then someone saw some guy running after it with his phone out in front. And, and at first we were like, oh yeah, that guy's going to get sprayed. But, um, he, uh, you know, for somewhat unfortunately, he didn't. But at the same time, I, 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 I very much uh, empathized with it. You know, I was honestly, the funny thing was I thought I should photograph that skunk. And then this dude just, like, is, like, running out of nowhere after the skunk. <laughs> so really, you resent his go-getter attitude. More no, I think I, I, I think I, you know what it is? It's a true, uh... A, a true game recognized game moment when you you see you know you're like uh you could you could uh farm him for schadenfreude but then it turns out i relate to this guy <laughs> fair enough all right so uh black metal guy uh quick announcement terminus fall break what are we doing you're the one that oh, came well, up with this idea like last night. So well, I there was you've there, got shit you, going on. I, I've definitely got shit going on. I mean, you continue. We both continually have shit going on for the next few months, probably through January for May. Uh, and um, you uh, and or and we just I looked on the schedule last night, and there was like one thing on the schedule for next week that could be moved to another day. And you know, there are actually a few releases coming out now that I'd would ideally like to cover sooner like the new page rats turns out is actually out now and you know that's cool but we will cover that when we get back we're not going to do a full two-week thing like summer and winter we'll just take a week off because it's the middle of fall and uh there was nothing on the schedule and we need to do shit yeah uh, yeah yeah I, I saw it pop on there i was like well come on we already have our summer and winter breaks but then i was like yeah i don't give a shit yeah let's take a week <laughs> It's say uh, say hello to all the the new people coming and listening from Revelation to Doom, just so we can <laughs> so we can slink back into the darkness. But <laughs> we do have a track record of actually coming back from breaks, unlike most podcasts. Yes, we have resurfaced from two week breaks multiple times now. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, no big news apart from that, but yeah, it's just going to be one week, and uh, we'll still be active on the Discord and everything. We're just going to take a little bit of time to ourselves. I'm, I'm slammed at work myself, so it's kind of a, a welcome reprieve for me, because uh, people don't realize just how many goddamn hours it takes to do this three-hour show every week. <laughs> That's certainly true, yes. It's a part-time job, easy. Um so, uh, real quick, social media, follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And uh, welcome to all of our new listeners, uh, our Terminus intern, Hyper Shaman, uh, who we've brought into the fold, has uh, started to actually promote our stuff after like a year and a half of us doing it. We were like, oh, well, maybe we should 
to actually say this yeah. exists. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in various venues. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to follow us on social media, uh, you can do it there. Or uh, if you like what you hear, especially if you're a new guy, uh, check us out on Patreon or Subscribestar. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. $5 and up gets you access to our private Discord server where we uh, discuss the appropriate venue to wear a bolo tie. And uh, just now, uh, basically as this episode is coming up, uh, 10 bucks and up gets you access to voting privileges to decide what the next bonus episode will be. Hmm. So uh, very, very exciting times here in the Terminus world. Um, so, uh, show today split into two pretty distinct halves, and we both contribute a record apiece to them. Uh, first half is going to be uh, the stuff you're probably a little bit, uh, well, I guess both sides are pretty used to on Terminus at this point, but the first, uh, first side is a little bit more melodic black metal, um, and we are opening with Shavot's Galgebrock. Uh, this is out now on Void Wanderer Productions and War Productions digitally. Uh, this was sent to us personally by the sole member Floris, who you may know from pretty important Dutch black metal bands like Asgrau and Meslamtea. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he let us know that uh, this new record of his is out, and I had no idea whatsoever. So, of course, if he requests it after doing one of the best records of last year, yeah, we're going to be covering this one. Yeah, hell yeah. Stoked. I think the last one Flores project we did was Sagenland at the beginning. Yeah, the Sagenland. Very yeah. I think that might have been the first episode of the new year. I think like that's that. true. Yeah. So um, I mean hopefully and I, I hear there are new Meslamtea and Asgro in the works, so fingers crossed. Yes, there are. That's gonna be early twenty twenty two, according to Flores, so we're definitely gonna uh, be covering both of those. All right. So up next, the other thing you're probably used to on this show is DSBM, but yeah, for once it's the death metal guy bringing the Dutch black metal and me bringing the uh, DSBM. Uh, this is Monotonic Negativel with The Silent Abyss. It's an independent release by the dude from Devil Groth. Huzzah. Um, Devil Groth, uh, we reviewed also at the pretty early this year, right? Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's February. That's definitely still a terminus aggregate year-end strong contender, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, this is somebody with a very unique take on black metal uh, and a real mastery of sound playing DSBM-type stuff, and it's cool. <laughs> All right. After the break, uh, I'm back with, yes, more Canadian war metal. Uh, with Blood of Dead God by Azothist. This is on Vault of Dried Bones, which is, I think, the the label that's sort of been the uh, focal point for the artier side of the war metal scene there. So, like, Antediluvian in particular. I associate that label with Antediluvian. They've got this coming out and a band that was on uh, Vault of Dried Bones, Sorguinazia has one coming out in the next couple weeks that we're going to cover. So, uh, obviously we love the last, an- the newest Antediluvian into this scene. Uh, stoked to check this out. Yeah, and wrapping it up tonight is going to be the new full length by Caveman Cult from Miami. Uh, it's called Blood and Extinction, and it is out now on Nuclear War Now. 
uh, caveman cult is, uh, I guess, sort of lumped into the war metal scene, but what it really kind of resembles is super overdriven Kagumelo Black Thrash. Think, you know, Sarcophago played way too downtuned and uh, way too aggressively. Uh, and I was interested in, uh, you know, checking this out because I've seen Caveman Cult live a couple times and it always impressed me. So uh, we'll see how it shapes up and if their live performance uh, stacks up with what's on the record. All right, so first up, uh, we have Shavot's Galgebrock. Uh, so apologies in advance to Flores for us mangling Dutch, but uh, it's not a language that I'm super well acquainted with, so... I think that um, might actually be Norwegian. Oh, maybe. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The, because the song titles are definitely Dutch. <laughs> although I don't know. Yeah, like in if I do it from Dutch on Google Translate, uh, it comes to um, uh, bile lumps. <laughs> yeah. Well, shavot apparently means like scaffolding or like a scaffold or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Like Galg and. Uh, Whereas Galgen Brock means gallows chunk. I was thinking, I've heard Galg in other contexts as being a root having to do with gallows, and this has to, the record seems to have to do with trees or what trees see uh, yeah. and have seen. <laughs> so I'm going for some sort of gallows thing, but who knows? Maybe it's Old Norse, or maybe it's mm -hmm. just called bile lumps for shits and giggles. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? But, uh, all right, so uh, I, as we set up front, so this is the solo project of Floris from uh, Asgrau, uh, Meslantea, and uh, Sagenland, and I think a couple other projects as well. Um, uh, yeah, so we were a really big fan of the Meslantea record from last mm -hmm. year, and you are a big Asgrau fan uh, mm -hmm. going way back. Um mm -hmm. So, we both have history with this guy, and so far, this record included, it kind of seems like Floris can't do anything wrong. Um, <laughs> I, obviously, there's there's records that I've liked more than others by him, but uh, he's he's got a remarkable consistency and quality, even while he explores different kinds of ideas in black metal. And uh, the way I read Shavat is, uh, oh, uh, speaking of which, uh, I should mention uh, another Terminus alumni we've interviewed, uh, Arjun of Heaton's Heart, actually Ar did the Ar mastering. Arjun, I think. Yeah. Arjun, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Did the mastering on this record. Um, oh, cool. And he was, yeah, he was talking about that process. That was pretty cool because it was like mastered with all like old analog equipment. It was really interesting. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the way I read this project, distinct from. Uh, Flores' other projects is this seems much more closely wedded to uh, Norse second wave stuff. Uh, it's it's definitely given its own spin through Flores' kind of idiosyncratic melodic ideas and this kind of propulsive sense of groove that he always has in his music, but this is much closer to the core of old school black metal than a lot of the other stuff that he's done, at, at least from what I've heard. Uh, that being said, it's really well-rounded, it's really melodic, and it's really ambitious in terms of how many different kinds of riffs and different kinds of moods are explored. Um, so really, it's kind of like the perfect midpoint for us between 
the stuff that you love the most and I love the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me with like the the kind of overflowing hyper melodic, very Take inspired stuff, and the the gnarlier, more traditional kind of uh, Scandinavian second wave stuff for you. So, uh, what did you make of this one? Yeah, that's about accurate. Um, you know, it seems less. You know, it's definitely like less ambitious than Azkrow or Meslamtea, right? More like an exploration mm-hmm. of a specific style. But what's remarkable for that, um, and you know, there was also more of I think a unique stylistic idea being explored with Sagenland, uh, mm-hmm. although maybe that could be fleshed out more as we talked about that in, re- in, the, in that review, right? But the um, but here, uh, so it's it's you, you know what it is? It's the sort of like thing that somebody could very easily do as a toss off, right? Like mm-hmm. here, I'm in these bands or collaborations. Here's my solo thing. That's me paying tribute to the Norse legends of the 90s. How many times have you heard that phrase? Yeah. Right? Paying tribute to the Norse legends of the 90s. And usually that's a cue for, like, okay, stop paying attention. Right? Um, <laughs> uh, this is uh, actually... this. It's remarkable for something... It's remarkable that he has time to write for these other projects while also furnishing... Uh, interesting, meaningful material for something like this, right? Because this does have a clearly defined aesthetic. It's got his stamp on it, right? It's not just some imitation of the Norse stuff. There's a... um, And the ideas being used are obviously just fully fleshed out and um, worthwhile, right? You could... It's not just like, okay, here's my Bowsaw power chord riff. Uh, Here's my Spoopy Mayhem riff. Um, You know. Um... Yeah, no. It I, actually sounds pretty distant from all that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, uh, like a lot of the better kind of second wave style bands we've been covering recently, um, there's a tendency for the best bands that are like that to sound like the second wave to be to have a lot of their ideas attributable to it, but not sound like any band in particular. Like, there's there's no moment on this record where it's like, oh, here's the Burzum riff, here's yeah. the Emperor riff. Um, it, it's really, intellectually, it's a lot deeper in what defined that music than a lot of people are able to manage. Um, yeah. And it, it conveys it, the mood of that era. Yes, and in some ways it's dealing with, like, the raw material of the Dutch sound in general. Like, it's exploring the roots of their scene, because their scene is kind of based on an alt... based on a way of hearing the Norwegians taking... continuing to take the Norwegians seriously right through the OOs and and teens um, Mm -hmm. when it was not fashionable to do so. Uh, And, um... But hearing way different stuff and emphasizing very different things from, like, the sort of, oh, your usual mayhem, Burr's Throne uh, type stuff. So uh, this, we've talked about Toke being very central, seemingly, for stuff like Osgrau. Uh, um, th- for this particular band, there's a, uh, an, a an admirably autistic list of influences. Uh, Emperor Mactetus obtained enslavement, Cytherial, and Olver. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, Olver is another band that I think serious black metal people often don't give that much attention to because they kind of, well, because of their later career, right? Mm-hmm. For these guys, uh, for Aryan too, Olver is very central. Uh, um, obtained enslavement, not a name you hear almost at all. 
uh, a band that is cool. I only know their first record. Sethereal, again, uh, no, right? Uh, and um, yeah, basically I have just forgotten at this point. I literally have. Sethereal is Swedish, right? Um, uh, I believe so. Yeah, it's so Sethereal I've, I've gets heard kind it, of. But it's been forever. Yeah, it's Swedish. So it gets kind of eclipsed by your. Uh, by your sacramentums and uh even dawn is better known i think at this mm-hmm. point um uh or at least more influential so um and then you know you got uh yeah i have literally have no idea who mac Tedis is <laughs> neither do i that's that's totally totally outside of anything i know yeah, so um, so the very focused vision of certain kinds of things that interested him in the north sound of the 90s and uh it's cool yeah, um, and actually, and to draw a more direct comparison, the thing that this really struck me as resembling, in terms of things we've covered on the show, aside from other Flores projects, uh, really would be the Gendod record from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's moments on this that sound remarkably like it, like so much that I think Flores might have been listening to that a lot, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically in... Uh, the, the constantly contrasting moods. I, uh-huh. I think that's one of the big things about this record that makes it so interesting and so exciting is this constant battle for dominance between the kind of triumphant melodic stuff and the uglier, uh, more dissonant work. And it, n- neither is given primacy over the other. You know, they're constantly dueling each other in uh, adjoining sections of music. Um, and it's it's consistent throughout the record, uh, and it's a really interesting structural conceit. You know, you never sit on a single mood or a single texture for too long in this. Um, but let's uh let's play something. Do you want to go with yours first? Because uh, you're you're off the second track, I think, right? Uh, yeah, sure, we could do that. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, this is uh, Galgenbolt. Another song that may or may not have to do with gallows. We don't know.
Ah, evil. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. So that was was exciting to me. There was the kind of uh, you know, you get the uh Norse Norse speed metal riffing at the beginning, and then it goes into this really cool uh sort of very folky but very sinister sounding riff that I I don't know. It's just harmonized in a cool way that uh is technically demanding in the way that the 90s bands were, but doesn't remind me of any particular one of them. That, uh, sort of slide in. Um, uh, that, that, that riff was the first order. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the really cool sort of, uh, halftime drop to that, um, you know, just, uh, Big, big mood change uh, drops into this halftime part that basically, you know, I know uh, you would always say it hits like a hardcore breakdown or a metalcore breakdown, right? With the double bass. Um, to a degree, the, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different here. Here it sounds like the kind of thing they actually did, you know, in second <laughs> wave. It, it doesn't have the, the big attention-grabbing markers that the kind of modern metalcore influence stuff would have. Yeah, well, and I mean, yes, for sure Toka did things like that, and that's a place where it seems, I mean, I don't, there are some names I don't know on that list, but that to me seems like, okay, Toka being a fundamental influence for these guys. That riff has so many parts. Again, you know that I often listen to these songs on speakers, and it's only when we record the show that I hear things that I didn't hear before. Mm-hmm. Um, the two-guitar interplay on that breakdown riff is so detailed, and like the mm-hmm. big, the big like, uh, and some way the most elaborate, powerful moment of that riff only happens at the end of this sort of like four part sequence as it as it sort of as that idea rises. Yeah, no, there's a there's a really incredible density to these songs if you listen carefully. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because honestly, it's Floris refuses to repeat a riff the same way more than twice it, it feels like he immediately gets tired of it you know after mm-hmm. two repetitions and then he has to add some sort of reharmonization some sort of lead guitar or just switch to a new riff entirely um which could sound kind of add were it not for his really incredible ability to build these like elaborate melodic ideas very organically um Floris is one of those rare guys who can make one-man black metal that really does kind of sound like the process of a band writing a song. You know, just the extra flourishes and the extra details um, that never never become burdensome on the songs, but flesh it out in the way that like a really practiced band that just keeps piling on little details does. Yeah, and the other thing is that uh, it used to be very important to this music to sound fast. He is uh, (laughs) good at making it sound fast, particularly using punk beats, using Mm -hmm. uh, high-speed blasts. I mean, a lot of those, uh, and that punk beat is sort of uncontaminated by American stompiness, right? That is a very quick, you know, slayery, emperory, driving, uh, driving thing. That version of that sort of uh, forward, forward momentum at- attacking kind of punk beat thing is really important to the Dutch scene in general. But here it's, the speed is cranked up. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that he manages to maintain that kind of like like forward-leaning rhythmic mm-hmm. aggression of the Dutch scene while generally exploring pretty different melodic territory a lot of the mm-hmm. time. You know, he he's really good at like picking and choosing different elements and finding elegant ways to combine them. Um so uh let's go on to uh, uh Vite Juffer, uh something like that. And this is where we start getting into the really, really weird riffs on this record. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of... There, there's a certain archetype of riff that Floris uses on this record that I just... I don't really know where it comes from. I mean, they're distinctly black metal riffs, and they are kind of chromatic and yet aren't dissonant in the way we would typically think of it. It's almost as though mm-hmm. they're... Uh, you know, they're like the root notes are just straight chromatic, but he's doing interesting melodic interplay with like lead guitar over it. Um, so let's listen to this passage off the end of the third song and tell me if there's anything, just because you have a better background for this stuff than me, if this okay. reminds you of anyone in particular. Like, uh, for instance, that final riff, which you also hear earlier on in the sample, um, it's it, it's so strange. Like, it, it's got this almost chromatic quality to it, but the, the chord voicings are so unusual. I don't really have anything to compare that to apart from, I, I don't know, certain kind of weird strains of very old classical music. Like, you know, these kind of clustered chord voicings, more for choral stuff than guitar usually. I mean, does that remind you of anything, you know, any, like, deep cut stuff that you might know yeah. better? Yeah, Kvist. Oh, um, is it Kvist? Okay. Yeah, like, that is, I mean, he might 
maybe there's Sotherial stuff that's harmonized like that. It could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you could get there by playing around with that. Or uh, could be maybe obtained enslavement too, but because they, they did some more symphonic sounding stuff after their first one that I haven't heard. Um, obtained enslavement also famous because pe that was Pest's band, Pest who did the vocals oh, okay. on Under the Sign of yeah. Hell. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since I've heard them. So yeah, um, but uh, so it, it could not be inspired by Kvist, but it sounds like Kvist, and I'm sure I'm sure Flores would agree that it sounds like Kvist. Um, they they have very cool, uh, yeah, very cool. Sometimes just like astonishingly dissonant, but often harmonized more like that, where it's sort of very. Uh, um very kind of uh harsh and uncompromising harmonies but sketched in this way that is not um uh yeah that has some elegance and coherence to it some smoothness to the melodies that you wouldn't get in the buzz more buzz dissonant stuff and they certainly use these kinds of um chords that would be more familiar from more modern classical stuff, early 20th century stuff or whatnot. Things that are yeah, not in the typical tool bag of troped romantic symphony stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. It's interesting because it, it seems like he smuggles a lot of these really dissonant ideas in under a bed of like, uh, like synth voices mm -hmm. or uh, you know... Uh, kind of dynamic mm -hmm. melodic bass stuff. There's a lot of that across this record, a lot of these interesting bass flourishes. Um, there's always, there's not this really aggressive distinction between the dissonant part and the melodic part, as you hear on a lot of black metal records. They, they tend to kind of cohabitate the, the same kind of musical spaces, which is really interesting and gives it a really unusual mood you know as i mean we've talked about on the show as black metal has progressed and like any sort of technology progresses it becomes more specific and uh, more specialized hearing a rejection of that you know still incorporating all this sort of advanced musical technology but not forcing the music into this one very narrow kind of pigeonhole is really interesting and that's a really cool thing to hear, and we've been hearing more and more of that lately, and I like that. Yeah, dude. Um, I mean, that's that part is awesome. That might be the best song on the record, and is that's really as good as the other. You know that that could that has the quality level of the stronger songs on his. You know, of his other projects. Um, yeah, it's um, the other thing that impressed me about that in terms of the speed is the way he goes from the breakneck sort of. One two, you know, right. The, the sort of the more classically dissonant punk riff, although even that has this kind of ringing in the chords that gives it a greater textural richness. Um, mm -hmm. you, but you go from that total drive straight into the blast. There is no, um, there's bare. I don't think there's even a fill. It just yeah, no, um, it's these very smooth drops into radically different passages. You know, it's it's fast, but it's not really jarring. There's not like an open chord. There's uh, there's nothing, uh, and so that speed. He's he's is he playing the drums on this? I think he is, right? Uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, 
if it's him playing drums or if it's a drum machine. I know that he's credited as doing everything, but it doesn't specify if they're live or if they're... he does do drums with... He is like the multi-instrumentalist guitar and drummer guy and some other things they do. Oh, okay. So they're probably probably real in that case. I I think. I think he is. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's see. Um, Let's check Meslam Um... Yeah, in Meslam Taya, he's all instruments. Okay. Well, then, yeah. yeah, they're probably real. It's a little bit hard to tell with the mixing on this one, but uh, it sounds good either way. Yeah, well, point is, that's some really fucking cool drumming, uh, along with high-level guitar playing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, another sample towards the back end of the record, uh, Jammer Clock. Um, so, here's where we're going to get to some of the stuff that's more distinctly second wave in origin. And one of Flores' talents is taking these very simple kind of traditional black metal, black metal intervals, but voicing them with different chord shapes or with different harmonies that give them a, a really different feel. So some of the riffs you're going to hear on this sample are, if you break it down into just the root notes, extremely conventional, like stuff that was standardized in black metal by like 96 or 97. But the way he voices them is so different they they have a completely different aggregate effect on the music So, so I know you're immediately the world's biggest fan of that huge, like, half-note bend riff at the very right end. At, right. right at the end? Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, was, it, it, it just bends for, like, a, a full half measure. <laughs> it, it, it's great, just this this incredible climb. And uh, which, I, I, I talked to Floris for a while uh, when he was uh, sending this to me and he he'd mentioned that a big influence for him was um, like late nineties metalcore stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the kind of riff you would hear from so, some of the more scronky, like interesting metalcore bands of that era. 
Um, and original source for that sort of stuff would be like Sonic Youth. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what do you make of those uh, like those first couple riffs, which are essentially super simple, like evil black metal scale run figures that just don't sound normal anymore because he's he's adjusting the intervals in these minute ways or adjusting the harmonization in these minute ways. And it's completely different. Like just that opening riff, just that do 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 da da do do. Like it's, I, th- I think that sounds very second wave. I mean, no, I I, I agree, but as simple as that, like simple like uh, minor scale climb kind of riff is, that's not from anything in particular. Like it's not the way Mayhem would do it. It's not the way Emperor oh, would do it. Oh, it's just the way he does it. Sure, I think that's true. Again, there's somewhat he's definitely gone for some reference points that are obscure even to us. So it's possible mm-hmm. it does sound like something. Um, however, uh, yeah, it's certainly um, it sort of doesn't really make a difference because either way, okay, then he's just bringing up stuff from the pa- activating stuff in the past that has not been drawn on enough to make something that doesn't sound like any other troped stuff but uh but yeah no i mean it's certainly distinctive it's really good i think part of the, the reason it sounds different is that um it's got the key the keys over it mm-hmm. this sort of and, idea and, and rarely does he ever use the keys to do like a simple octave harmony or anything they're usually mm-hmm. doing kind of a, a different like a like a like a seventh harmony a lot of the time you know very very different usage than you typically hear in black metal with keyboards yeah so the keys change the inflection of that uh and maybe it's like he's emperor would do that first riff and then the key part right he's doing them at the same time we're of mm-hmm. course talking about pre night said emperor but um yeah. the um the second riff dun, dun. the other thing i really like about this i love that i mean yeah this is another great one i love that first riff i love the second riff, I love that he just climbs up to a one uh, minor seventh. Just da, 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 da. Obviously, the keys are doing more over that, but that gets that kind of like uh, droney enslaved vibe. Yeah, I, it's, it's I, got I, the it's got the appropriate Conan level for you, right? <laughs> certainly, high Conanism. Um, <laughs> and it's um yeah, I, it's all got. Some of this, uh, some of this is, um, there also really is a, you know, a unique personal voice being applied to all this stuff, binding it together and differentiating it from the past. So, like, this band does sound somewhat like Asgra. Mm-hmm. The difference is that many of the things that would mark it as Dutch aren't there. Does that make sense? It very much is the same yeah. guitarist, and there are similar influences being activated, but Asgrau has more of a, um, the melodic and dissonant parts are even more closely stitched together. The melodic part, there's more emphasis on this sort of like grandiose, uh, uh, sort of powerful melodic stuff. Um, you know, yeah, things it's, like that. It's interesting because, there, you know, we've, there are we've, actually we've... different chords in Asgrau. <laughs> well, no, no, I get it. It's interesting because, uh, you know, you're a big fan of the Dutch scene, and we've covered a fair amount of Dutch black metal on the show, but it always kind of seems to be the stuff sort of around the edges of mm-hmm. the core of the scene. Like, Meslam Tea is, like, well-known in the Dutch black metal scene, but Asgrau is one of, like, those core bands that really define the sound, where Meslam Tea is, like, mm-hmm. a little bit on the outside edges of it. 
Um, yeah. So it's like, I, I kind of get what you mean, but it's like we're kind of extracting the Dutch essence. Yeah. I just need to learn a little bit more about what that actually sounds like in its original form. Yeah, know? we're going to have to do the bonus episode on that. Uh, and um, the, you know, the other band that's really important for the Dutch scene, of course, is Ariane's band, Cultus. Uh, but Cultus mm-hmm. does not regular, is not a uh, release every two years kind of band. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, got anything more for that one? No, no, let's get to your last one. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is just, I already had my sample down, which was another song that kind of doubled uh, Galgenbolt. Uh, there's some some more excellent sinister folky riffing, um, but uh, I think I think it was uh, from Droglicht. Um, but, uh, or wait, was that the one that you just played? No, uh, no, it was Dro- Droglicht, I think. But, um... Once I got to the last track, I was like, oh, shit, I got to pick this. Um, so um, here is a version of the, uh, here's a uh, very, very big melodic idea that is quite different from current uh, big triumphant riff songwriting. And again, I think uh, draws on this second wave heritage in a way that doesn't sound like our familiar days of it. So, here we go. That's such a me sample to take. <laughs> but that's a very me example of what I consider a good, big, consonant riff. I gotcha. I mean, I, 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 yes, it is certainly a very, um, uh, it's a very here is the big riff moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know, why do I like it? Um, well, it's entirely... Dorian scale folk type melody, but it is being used in a way that uh, draws out tension and structure. Uh, 
and there's some deferred gratification in the way the riff is drawn out, right? It's consistent with this trend of uh, bands writing longer riffs, even with just like sitting longer on the single note. So uh, mm -hmm. Into Oblivion we talk about, or another band that's much closer to the mark here is Ildscare uh, yeah. from Denmark. Um, that's very close to some of the big riffs on the uh, last Ildscare full length. Um, and I think there is, uh, you know, I think the more Dutch stuff I hear and the more stuff I hear from Ildscare, the more I realize, okay, there really is kind of a uh, s southern coast of the North Sea regional sound thing going on here. Like the, da the Danish stuff has significant things in common with the Dutch. Yeah, it's, a, it's especially nautical. Yeah, 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 um, and it has the kind of, uh, it's, um, a little more reserved than the Norse stuff, right? It's resolute, um, mm -hmm. uh, it occupies more sort of, uh, or, you know, more, more in that sort of gray and windy territory than, uh, you know, lunar full storm eclipse or, uh, you know, whatever, um, or, I don't know, sun on the glacier, um, but the uh, other thing, oh yeah, one last thing while I remember that I wanted to put, but not as I, uh, I realized I solved the gallows problem, uh, which is uh, I had typoed the thing into Google Translate. So I had, I've been saying Galga, uh, Galgabrock, or wait, this is, the record is, wait, we've got, I think we've, maybe I typed it wrong on the sheet too. That's what I did. <laughs> um, the the band is Galgenbrock, right? The the record is called. Or Gal sorry, the record. The record is Gal. Look at uh, this. I'm just yeah, Galgenbrock. The record is Galgenbrock. So I fucked it up on the sheet. Um, it is in fact uh, Gallows something. Um, Google Translate gives Gallows lumps. That can't be right. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. Spooky Siberia, Spooky Siberia, Spooky Siberia. Okay, we're back with some Spooky Siberian shit. Uh, from Monotonic Negativel. This is The Silent Abyss. Courtesy of the dude from Devilgroth, uh, who we reviewed earlier this year. Uh, you brought that record on the show, and it kind of floored us. Yeah, that's still way, very close, if not at the top of my list for the year. Even this yeah, that'll, I'm sure that'll be. I keep I, in my head. I've put it as a death metal guy band, so I keep forgetting to listen to it. But like, <laughs> so you put it in the ghetto with all the other records. <laughs> I put it, yeah, I put show. it on the ghetto that's sort of patrolled by chariots um, around the <laughs> perimeter. Uh, any 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 band escaping will be shot full of arrows. Um, but the um, uh, but but no, it's um, it. It's uh no, it's it's obviously way up my alley too, and so I don't know why I'm not listening to it. Um, is what I was gonna say. Um, uh, Devil Groth is fantastic, yeah, and it's uh, you know how 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 would you describe it? Uh, well, I, I've got a really pithy, mean way to describe it that's very funny and like a more elaborate explanation. Which one do you want? Um, uh, let's start with the short one. Uh, it's like, uh, it, it's what Paysage de Hiver promises to be. Okay, now let's go to the long one. Okay, so it's, uh, a really sprawling sort of ambient style of black metal, um, 
probably drawing influences from Blaze Birth Hall as well as kind of Western European ambient black metal. Uh, the most defining characteristic is that it seems completely unshackled from the conventional idea of the riff form yes, or yeah, yeah. metal structuring in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinatingly weird, wonderful music. It just sounds like ice and rocks, yeah. you know, and 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 wind. And yeah, you you had some wonderful image of thawing icicles dripping. Uh, um, yes, very takes the. Uh, direct um you know that thing that i said galoosh was really good at sort of uh directly presenting natural form and that and that you know blaze birth hall at their best are good at uh right uh devil groth takes that at its most abstract and it runs with it um there's also a weird amount of like post-rock but not bad mm-hmm. like post-rock post-rock ideas used for good um and a kind of <laughs> Go, going with the freedom from the riff and from the structures that come with that, uh, an open guitar playing that uses things like feedback and bends and uh, seems like it's informed by drone, like uh, heavy drone music too, stuff like Skullflower or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So just a really, really cool band. And this guy has a... So it's not surprising, I guess, that this guy has a signature guitar technique, right, that he is now applying to a different context. That context being eh, something very, very trench coat era, right? Mm-hmm. Very uh, DSBM with an industrial vibe. Yeah. And so. it's like that. It's interesting because that description is like totally accurate, but. It, it's absolutely not what you're imagining when you describe that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is, uh, it is, you know, sort of very bleak, uh, sort of, it's, what it is is highly repetitive and droning, but over driving industrial type beats on drum machine with, uh, this kind of, that kind of guitar playing much sort of darker, uh, more clanging kind of stuff, um, and you know it's meant to sound that's meant to sound like the name, right? I think uh, mm-hmm. this is according to him the all, the listing of the reviews on Metal Archives is or the, of the releases is I think different from how the band would describe it. Uh, yeah, I was doing some research on that. Uh, it appears that. I, I think someone just added the stuff on Metal Archives based off of like Bandcamp releases. Fucking yeah. yeah, I think the original stuff came out much longer ago. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so he was saying the the his little write up on the on the Bandcamp. It's on the Bandcamp. Says a new album after thirteen years, uh, and so dedicated to all my living and dead friends. Uh, so serious release uh meant for what he says you know troubled times uh and yeah his first one in a very long time so really the last time he was making full-length records under this alias it was the last days of the trench coat era yeah really was around 2008 mm-hmm. yeah um so i uh you know uh let's let's go here uh let's go to the music um Let's go to Faceless, which is the second track. Um, this is the first part that I got. I could get really into. Um, and uh, 
one thing that this band does very well, which is also in Devil Groth, but um, more so here, because Devil Groth has this very naturally flowing, changing aspect mm-hmm. to it, is the, the use of repetition as a core songwriting strategy in black metal, right? Uh, so think of that here, where you get some of the most... Dr- a good example of the driving repetitive industrial vibe on this. a lot of, uh, at least to me, cool shit in a row. Uh, so the sample starts and ends on a chug riff, which is a very much a throwback to the industrial allowed phase of black metal. Um, uh, in the middle, though, what's really cool is that chug riff kind of ends at the beginning of the sample. There's a, uh, whereas the last record we were reviewing, right, is, uh, the um, uh, the Chavot is uh, relies on these like utterly seamless breakneck transitions from one thing to the next. This band has this kind of uh, dissipate coalesce thing that it has mm-hmm. in common with uh, Devil Groth. And so here the uh, you know the drum machine is able to remain more steady, but the sort of initial chug idea dissipates and then over the space of like 10 or 15 seconds, the next part coalesces and you've just got this driving eighth note, you know, eighth note Dorian bass line just grooving 
under increasingly abstract guitar wailing. Um, mm-hmm. Guitar work, again, a lot like Devil Groth. Under it, though, that's like a Joy Division bass line. Yeah, um, I can definitely hear that. I mean, I, I think that what we're pinning down is that this guy's style in particular, like his unique mm-hmm. feature is that dissipation and coalescing idea you were talking about. Because mm-hmm. you hear that a lot on Devil Groth. Um, I, I would hazard to guess that there is some degree of like improvisation that goes on both in this and in Devil Groth. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that there are there's a loose structure in mind, but he'll just kind of play a riff until he feels like it's done and kind of transition into something else and I think that, you know, he'll he'll go through the track and he'll layer stuff in as he sees fit, but not really based on anything other than mood. Um which is a really interesting way to make black metal, which is, you know, despite how chaotic it sounds sometimes, it's rigorously structured music for the most part. Um, and I, I think that it is interesting hearing that kind of guitar style with uh, more rigidity uh, in the drum machine. Mm-hmm. Um, because something that we were talking about when we covered Devil Groth was I suspected that the drums were placed like last uh, in the mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the guitars are recorded to a click track and then he kind of layers the drums over. Yeah. It. I think in this case, there's a more distinct idea of what he wants the drums to do. And that might be more of a foundational thing. Oh, in this case, it almost might be more, I could believe that the devil growth stuff is to some degree, like carefully composed from a lot of in- improvisation and that there is mm-hmm. improv happening within those structures too. But that like, the guitar gets more worked out than the drums, then the drums get filled in. Here, I think he basically drags and drops the drum grid and then probably mm-hmm. has a couple riff ideas and plays over them. Yeah, um, yeah, I could see that. What the cool thing about uh the cool thing about Devil Groth and about this is that the music is the sonic ideas instead of getting wired through these ideas about how certain metal melodies are supposed to be structured uh, and filtered through, I don't know, the tremolo pick technique or whatever, are often just coming from immediate physical impulse, right? Which is channeling immediate emotional impulse. Just um, manipulation of sound at its base. Uh, And this... Different aims. Devil Groth, we talked about being some of the most impersonal music we've covered on the show. Mm-hmm. Right? Remote from any conventional, you know. Devil Groth has emotions in the sense that a glacier has emotions. Right? Yeah. Uh, um, the, this is actually immediate. One thing that connects it to DSBM is this is personally expressive, miserable music. Um, and yeah. so you get the idea of him just plugging in and kind of cathartically jamming, but like being good at it. Yeah. <laughs> unlike many people, unlike us, unlike us, a lot of people think they're that, good yeah. at it. Most people are very bad. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. It's like I don't even think of this as depressive in the traditional sense it's kind of like gray and wandering which is more like actual depression i guess Mm -hmm, mm um but it definitely doesn't have the melodic impulses that you typically hear from dsbm 
Um, what it does have, uh, a wonderful segue from some stuff you were talking about in the last track. You were talking about, oh, there's like a Joy Division bass line there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something I picked up on was what I can at least imagine, because as always, I'm definitely not well-versed in goth rock, but a, a serious appreciation of certain goth rock ideas. Um, yeah. So for, for me, this record really takes off uh, around the third track. Um, so I'm going to go to The Cosmos Is Inside Us. And here, this is going to be a, a much more kind of relaxed sample compared to a lot of the stuff on this record. This is kind of the airiest song on the record, and it might actually be my favorite. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in this sample that strikes me as a, a sort of progressive-tinged goth rock or something. And I'm guessing when you hear it, you'll probably have the immediate reference points that I just don't have the history for. Okay, cool. So, Black Metal Guy, what is the goth rock band I should be listening to if I like this? Well, well, Death Metal Guy, it's an interesting question. Uh, That big open part in the middle, it definitely does sound convincing. Like, I mean, something like that could have been played by a goth band in the 80s. Was it? I'm not sure. Hmm. Um... The chord action under it with the bass, the just the structure and melodic ideas sound a lot more like Mogwai. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That kind of big open majesty thing, which is probably also like the good, aka the good post rock. Yeah, which, yeah, um, yeah. Which you know, and like actively metal influenced post rock. Interestingly, um, uh, Mogwai were into goth. He actually did a really mm-hmm. good. Uh, 
list of his favorite records on the quietest back in the day where uh there were a bunch of deep cut things you never would have thought of and also like fields of the nephilim mm-hmm. uh yeah. which totally makes sense list, you know <laughs> yeah which totally makes sense because the um that kind of open open minor kind of glistening guitar technique that really comes so the ironic thing is it's not a coincidence that actually gets into post-rock via fields of the nephilim who did that in goth um yeah and in terms of like this in terms of the only other thing i can think of like within goth for that middle part um with the open soloing or whatever would be the middle of elysium which is the last major the last record with the original Neph lineup um and okay. that is very spacey Maybe even like I mean I I hate to say it but Pink Floyd influenced um, <laughs> and uh, like lots of sort of slow paced guitar heroics so I can maybe hear that um, well, I can get into that you know the idea of like uh, overly open and airy like mm-hmm. <laughs> slow paced guitar theatric goth rock that sounds pretty sick actually so I'll have to check that record out. Oh yeah, you'd you'd really like it, I think. And so, so there's some similarity to that here. But um, the part where it really sounds like goth rock is more like the um, where it just goes back into that sort of minor key bass bass vamp towards the end. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is, uh, or I mean, I guess it's all minor key, but just you know, different minor key when it when it starts going go, doing the one minor six thing, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I got you. And that, you know, I, that reminded me maybe the Cure's pornography. Okay, um, I, I see. I think if uh, you wanted to make a really miserable sort of uh, quasi depressive black industrial record, pornography would be one to reach for, and I'm sure it's in this guy's collection. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another reference point I was thinking, especially during you know the, the kind of quieter mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like thunking mm-hmm. and vamping, is uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. You ever listen to a uh, Boren under Club of Gore? Anything like Still that? Still no. That's one of those bands that aren't metal that metal people like. That because I didn't have long hair back in the day, I've never listened to. It. <laughs> it's um, it's pretty cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, like like very minimal like dark ambient jazz music like uh you know it's like lounge music in you know the really cold minimal circles of hell you know it's Hmm. it's really neat i mean it's it's definitely background music but it's um it's pretty cool um oh no i i'm stuck in the industrial chic circle of hell (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no it's uh it's actually pretty tight though um I, i'm guessing that a lot of this record is drawing off of you know the, the extra metal influences that this guy is really interested in but uh i i heard that part and i immediately wanted to hear your thoughts on it for sure um the but thing about to... this guy and extra metal influences we've said it before on the devil growth but like he's at a unique person where like uh he is equally fluent in the metal extreme music lineage and the kind of uh, loosely punk-derived art rock lineage, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, both the sort of metal culture and sort of, like, um, uh, alt culture strains, right? And um, 
he's equally fluent in them and he integrates them both and there's no preconception as to uh he'll take tools from one kit and use it to express feelings you're more likely to get in the other just all the time yeah which is the right way to do it if yes, you want to incorporate yes, non-metal yes. ideas into metal that's yeah. absolutely the methodology yes yeah um but l- let me get back uh, to within metal um, so I'm going to go to a track called Shadows of Memories, and uh, this one's a lot more metallic than the last one. Um, and here, uh, the reference points become a little bit clearer. Um, I think that this reminds me a lot of the uh, Valknut record that mm-hmm. you showed me on a bonus episode one time. And mm-hmm. I think as far as like within depressive black metal, I think Thy Light is probably a big deal for this guy. Uh, we, we covered the newest yeah. Thy Light EP a few months ago, and they've sort of, over time, become really crucial to the DSBM scene, despite not releasing a whole lot of music in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's an undercurrent of something else that I want to explore in just some of the the strange melodic ideas and the way this guy uses synths and this very kind of open, sprawling structure. Okay. just love the 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 strange relationship this guy has with timing in music you know he's really i mean a lot of that sample is composed of a kind of a simple and really beautiful lead guitar loop Mm -hmm. but 
he's not really holding for note value. It's like it's in free time. You know, it's just kind of cascading across this unending drum beat. Um, but there's no concern with it rigidly lining up to a grid. It's like, I'll hold these notes longer, I'll hold them shorter, it just depends on how I feel. And it'll all kind of snap together as the next section coalesces. Um, Which is very cool that it, it does uh, do yeah. that. He pulls it, it in it, at the end. You can hear him, like, right where the sample ends, he changes riffs and the new riff is sick. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, so. it, it's such a simple idea, but it's so hard to wrap your head around uh, you know, like as a musician, that you just wouldn't think to do it a lot of the time. Um, and that's one of the advantages of, you know, the, the one-man blackmail project, the auteur thing, is just being able to use those really kind of wild, eccentric ideas. Well, um, it's also making an advantage out of the uniform, repetitive beat. Yes, yes. You know, it, it doesn't feel like... It, the drum machine in any of this guy's work does not sound like it's... Um, like it's a handicap in any way. He uses it to to be a defining element of the music. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out, I, this is going to be a little bit out on a limb, but it is. Uh, I think it's probably a big influence to this guy. Have you heard any of the work by uh, uh, Jean Van Cowder? Uh, stuff like uh, Until Death Overtakes Me, Beyond Black Void, The Ethereal, anything like that? How do you spell that? Uh, S-T-J-I-N... Like Jin mm -hmm. uh, Van Couter, C A U T E R. S T J I N. Yeah. Van. Impossible to pronounce. Oh, Steen. <laughs> oh, oh, I think that's probably oh, like Steen. S T J I N. Yeah, yeah. Or S T. I mean, I think I've I've heard seen a name so that Steen spelled S T I J N. No, um, maybe. Uh, anyway, oh. so this. Yeah, no. Send me a link to it, I because I I'm too too stupid to to spell it based on what you've just said. I cannot remember <laughs> the letters. I cannot remember yeah, sure. the letters you have named. So send it to me. But uh, yeah, tell me who is this guy because he's not on Metal uh, Archives. Uh, he, he is. Um, oh. Just look up a look up a until death overtakes me. That's one of his many many projects. Oh, I um, see. I see. Got it. Yes. yes. Um, so. He is a Belgian guy who does funeral doom and drone and ambient pretty much exclusively. Um, but there's a lot of interesting parallels between his music and this stuff here. You know, the, the same sort of open concept of timing. You know, the, uh, the sort of monotonous but very important drum programming. Uh, and the same impulse to use this sort of like brittle digital production to make something really heavy and emotive, you know, mm -hmm. almost in spite of itself. Mm -hmm. um, and DSBM guys all listen to Funeral Doom, so sure, that makes sense. I be and and his work is sort of a, a unique offshoot of Funeral Doom itself. He's just been around so long and he's done so much work and. All of it's really, really interesting. Um, I could see this guy being really interested in Steen's methodologies for songwriting and just applying them in a different context. Um, it's just, it, 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 just strange parallels. The way they use keys is very similar. Some of the melodic ideas, these like glassy, just forever reverberating lead notes. Um, I don't know. It's it's really interesting to hear that in such a different context here. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now you've got me interested to check out this guy's stuff. Um, 
Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's uh, I'll, I'll uh, at one point I'll send you some of the stuff that I really like. He's done like he's probably done like thirty projects at this yeah. point. Um, so everyone's got a handful of their favorites that are regular listening. You know. Heard. Oh, listeners, just to redeem myself from the uh, spelling mistake on the uh, on the last one, um, uh, we've got. Um, his name is S T. Is in fact S T I J N. Um, oh, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's I, like I've it's been Belgian. doing it wrong the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you know, um, the uh, I'm sure you're not the only one. Uh, he he's also got a project in terms of cool names called Arcane Void Splitter. <laughs> you see, and I don't even know what that one is. So. No, I'm, it's just listed on Metal Archives, and it's I, I was hoping that was Black Metal, and it's more Doom, unfortunately. But what a good name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all um, he does is like doom and ambient stuff. So, dude, dude, do you think that's like just like a really funeral doom way of putting it when you fart? <laughs> I've split. Oh <laughs> shit! Sorry, man. I split the void. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, you apologize, I mean, and then you realize there's no one to apologize to because you're in the practice room by yourself. Yeah, it's a, it's the right combination of romance and pretense. <laughs> team, so yes. <laughs> uh, um, so cool. Um, so other thing, while I remember it, in terms of the good use of repetition, well, I, I think I sort of forgot to mention. Uh, um, let's talk about style. Uh, you say using the drum machine as a virtue, yes, and also like using repetition deliberately. That is, that's the thing I want to emphasize here, is that, like, often, since the age of the Burzum clone, right, is long behind us, um, repetition in black metal tends to be more of a, something that is done passively or receptively rather than actively. That is, like, sure, black metal's inherently repetitive, therefore, like, relative to other kinds of music, in the same way black metal is inherently atmospheric, right? Saying repetitive black metal is almost redundant. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, using, consciously using repetition as a technique, and doing it not just for a song or two, but, like, as an integral to the band's sound, is uh, something this guy, is something that was much more of an early 2000s thing, and it's something this guy does very well, often much better than it was done in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he because when when he sits on a repetitive section, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's a holding pattern. It feels like he's driving into it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the repetition unlocks that kind of expressive driving plane. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So now let's go to um. Now the question is, you know, okay, so this is we 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 agree we like this. This is a musician we like playing a style that we think is cool. Uh. What, but given, but like, what happens when it, when it doesn't work? Uh, you know how like for us, a, uh, a science, a scientific idea to be legitimate, right? Or like, you know, it has to be falsifiable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, so you, you'd have to be able to prove that it was, was an issue with it or for, for a hypothesis to be viable in the first place, it has to be possible to prove it could be wrong. Right. Well, yeah. one way to prove the legitimacy of a musical method is to prove that it's possible to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, like, this guy's very open-ended method of composition, right? I think a reasonable listener could say, uh, you know, um, okay, well, isn't it easy to do all this? Isn't this just kind of like, uh, um, isn't it just kind of like this meandering improv stuff that anyone could do? Um, and the answer is no, and one way you can tell that is that there are moments where it just doesn't quite work. So, uh, let's, um, this is on the track Cure This Sadness. Uh, it's like Shadows of Memories, it's more expansive, but I don't think this one works as well. Uh, and let's just try this part for the back part of the song. jam session that just doesn't quite uh, go anywhere and then collapses? Oh, I've uh, done a pretty good job of avoiding jam sessions for the past 10 years because I'm that bad at it, so... But yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, you could basically hear it. I mean, that almost reminds me of, like, jazz soloing going wrong. You could hear the, uh... The guitar searching for the idea, and it gets stuck in the holding pattern of. I get that. I don't mind that as much as you do, but it's also, you know, one of the issues there is that's probably the most sentimental sounding stuff on a record that's admirably unsentimental, despite how kind of depressing it is. Yeah, and I mean, it's a legitimate, that's a fine riff. 
right? That's like, I mean, yeah, it's very sentimental. It's very, it's post-Rocky, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I would accept that riff. I think I accepted that riff for about 30 seconds or a minute. And then it started to just sort of trip over itself. And you could mm-hmm. hear that the the co- the place where it sort of um, dissip- the dissipate coalesce moment is particularly rocky because it's not clear what it's coalescing into yet. They're like there's like a maybe twenty seconds before the end or something. I can't remember exactly when. There's kind of a musical stutter that happens. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the different parts just sort of thud over each other. Um, it just it seems a little bit. Uh, if it's improvised, it's just a case of the improvisation not quite going well. If there's if that was left sort of deliberately, it seems a little indulgent. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think that really that is just a case of like, okay, so part of what makes this guy's music cool is that meandering post-rock quality, but it can be done too much. And that's that's one of the rare instances where he goes a little bit too far in that direction. Yeah, that's all I meant by that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a sense, it's proof that the other stuff is legit because, you know, somebody once told me is like, I mean, I I imagine this is sort of like, I mean, a thing that's commonly said, but like, you know, a measure of good noise music is can a noise performer fuck up, right? And there's certain kinds of, there's certain kinds of noise music, like a harsh noise wall or something or variation where like, you know, uh, it's just impossible to fuck up because if you fuck up, it sounds like noise.
All right, and we are back from checking out some seriously mentally ill-sounding shit from Russia, which uh, maybe we will have to cover in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. um, with uh, some Canadian war metal from Vault of Dried Bones, the label. Uh, the band is Azothist. That's with a Y, presumably one who is ideologically dedicated to Azoth. Um, and the record is Blood of Dead God. Uh, so... Um, there seems to be some reactivation around this scene in general, uh, because we've just heard a new antediluvian, which is excellent, definitely going to be high year end for me. And, uh, there's another record coming out soon by some, someone associated with this scene called Sorguinazia, which seems to be more of a mayhemic black metal thing, but coming from this neck of the woods stylistically, uh, this kind of spin on it, but, um, Vault, uh, so this sort of arty Canadian war metal thing is, is, uh, fired up again, uh, after, you know, years of inactivity from Antediluvian, for instance. Uh, um, I was stoked, you know, I like this sound, I was stoked about this release. When I clicked on the sample, I, I liked what I heard, it was sort of, uh, um, high intensity, uh, had a different timber from the usual stuff, which I liked a lot. Um, so very often, right, it's it's almost like the label name is a misnomer because Antediluvian sounds like a vault of very wet bones, right? <laughs> um, whereas this is has a sort of dried bones tonality to it. Uh, um, kind of hollow and scraping in a cool way. Um, very open rasped vocals, uh, rattling drums. Um, and the... Uh, Energy was very aggressive, and um, the riffing seemed somehow a little closer to traditional black death, or traditional black metal and traditional death metal. Um, in some sense, that first impression is borne out on this record, uh, but um, I don't think either of us could really get into this. No, not really. And I, it's hard to tell if it's a... If it's particular to this band, or I think that I'm just kind of burnt out on this sound right now, mm -hmm. um, because this, yeah, I mean, this is like kind of the, the already Canadian war metal, but it has a lot of crossover with the kind of like uh, ortho cavern stuff we've been covering. Um, yeah, we've just been listening to a lot of stuff that sounds kind of like this lately, mm -hmm. and I, I, I think I need to take a breather from this kind of record for a while because it's it's beginning to sound a little bit troped for me. Um, I, like, and it, as I said, you know, this might just be a me thing. It, if it wasn't Azathist, it might have been any other band in this style at this point, but yeah, there were moments of this that I really enjoyed, especially because of some of the people that are involved in it, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it kind of blew past me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think it's just... I mean, definitely we need to take a break from this style, uh, but, um, you know, if you're having that feeling about it, right, there's something behind that intuition, probably, yeah. uh, about this. Um, and, you know, where something falls in a trend is itself a, uh, um, you know, is itself part of part of the music, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know... Um, 
this band seems to have some sort of long and storied prehistory. Like maybe they've played shows without releasing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have any demos? Uh, no, this no, the, uh, this is the first visual release. release. So, uh, yeah, they opened for Pro Fanatica in 2017, which was their first their first thing, but nothing recorded since then. So, and in it, some it sense, maybe this be, like. It appears to be kind of like a, a pseudo supergroup. I mean, the members okay. all have affiliations with some fairly known stuff. Like one of the guys played live with Anna Deluvian, and he was—he's also in like Nuclear Hammer. Uh, one of the other guys is from Adversarial. Um, yeah, another guy did some work with Abyssal Throne and Sortilegia. So I mean, there's these are pretty mm-hmm. accomplished guys altogether. Oh, and the vocalist appears to be the guy who runs Vault of Dry Bones. There you go. Yeah. So it's like the linchpin of the scene, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so in terms of the sound, well, if it sounded like this in 2017, it was kind of ahead of the current curve of cavernous stuff colliding with orthodox stuff. Um, yeah. Now at this point, I mean, so maybe it's a misfortune of placement. It uh, seems like there's a bunch, it's maybe a little too timely. Um, yeah. But let's see if we can break it down on a song-by-song level and figure out more about it. So um, for me... I, I think, like, uh, the only song that really made good on what I was hoping for from the uh, preview, so maybe maybe this was the track that I sampled at the beginning, I don't know. Um, but the, the, the only thing where, that made good on that, and I think that I think captured a really distinct musical idea that is specific to this band, is the first track, Rites of Ascendancy. Um, but, uh... You know, I think this one's really good. Uh, So let's check this out. So I actually stopped that sample a little earlier than I than I was going to just because uh, that was just like four really good riffs in a row. Yep. Um, so that first one, there the leads are using the kind of glistening tone that you might be familiar with from Orthodox PM, but I think here more maybe stuff like Ulcerate. You know, there's definitely a lot of Ulcerate in some of those. Yeah. Ulcerate, maybe... I don't know this band as well. I remember being really impressed the one time I heard it, but um, 
That Canadian band Mitochondrion that kind of disappeared a long time ago. Mitochondrion um, are really cool. They yeah, are way ahead of the curve on this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's Mitochondrion-ish, but maybe. But um, but basically, there's a real musical idea there, which is uh, take that guitar tone, raw material, and a little bit of the interval choice and write a riff in the form of a ripping death metal riff. Right, ripping tremolo death metal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, that that is just like a sick metal riff, um, yeah. and sounds much more classically death metal than moves moves things to the more death metal side of the equation than the sort of black death war metal sound that's familiar for this scene. Um, mm -hmm. All right, next riff, sick too. Um, uh, so next riff moves through like a clearly defined propulsive power chord sequence uh so it's not so murky right as you ever get and then it decorates it on the end with some of those ulcerate cascades or you know right yeah and then the next riff uh has is more just sort of power chord based um or wait sorry no 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 i did not even not even there yet yeah, it's just so. Um, just very rapidly moving lead work. Uh, that has more of a black metal color to it. And when they turn the melody, when when the melody moves up into more corded stuff, uh, it sort of again sounds more black metal in that third riff. Uh, and in in the riff after it, I think. Uh, so they get um. The music has, uh, the riffs are more tonally centered than the kind of deliberately wandering dissonant stuff you'd get with Antediluvian, um, or, or than the kind of just predictably scronky stuff you get in the Orthodox Cavern style, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You get these sort of shades of diatonic harmony, right? Stuff that's not as dissonant. Stuff that maybe sounds a little more like, oh, here's a minor scale. Here's something that sounds a little epic. Uh, um, and, you know, that's a cool strategy. That's, you know, let's go in both directions at once. Let's make it more death metal and more black metal. Uh, and I would say that this track sounds at their best, which I think is this track, this band sounds kind of like Knit In. Yeah, I, I can see that around the edges. I mean, really what we're, what you're pointing out, and I guess will become like a primary topic of conversation, which is, you, you like it because it's the one with riffs, you know? It's, uh, like, w riffs with, like, distinct shapes. Because um, mm -hmm. I, I think... I think at this point I can say that um, <laughs> uh, the Ulcerate Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the metal race. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. um, so, obviously, Ulcerate is a very good band. Um but I think a lot of people took the wrong lessons from Ulcerate. Ulcerate has these very strange, um, kind of airy, dissonant riffs. But people always forget that Ulcerate also has, like, an incredible drummer. And some incredibly aggressive parts. And, uh, you know, as angular as it might get, it never totally floats off into... No just kind of like hovering around itself. Um, 
But I think that a lot of people took the lesson they took from Ulcerate was like uh, airy, airy dissonant bridge passages. Good, you know, <laughs> kind of they, like they built entire riff archetypes and entire bands around that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, Ulcerate is one of those bands. It's like they probably are one of the most important bands of like the 2010s, just in terms of influence. And there's been a lot of people that have taken really good influence from it. I think mostly on... That's the thing. I think it's more uh, death metal bands have taken better influence from Ulcerate than black metal bands. Um, You know, in terms of the way it's been woven into the fabric of the genre itself. Um, Now, this section here on Rites of Ascendancy is really good because those ulcerate ideas are used as flourishes. They're used as accents. They're not the core of the riffs. I mean, the the core are really fundamentally just kind of straight-ahead Black Death riffs, you know, with, with some technical ability behind them and uh, a really distinct melodic vision behind them. But there's other parts on this record, you know, a lot of parts, really, that do tend to just kind of float around in kind of orthodox sounding dissonant passages kind of ulcerate and the problem is there are moments like this where you can tell they can write these excellent ripping black death riffs but all the momentum gets sucked out of the music when it sits too long in one of those kind of ulcerate sections i mean would you agree that that's kind of the big issue for this is like the momentum killing effect of that yeah, well, it's weird because, like, there's a pretty clear musical idea happening in the more intense locked-in sections, like the one I sampled, and there's something that sets it apart from other bands in the style. But then, yes, there are just, like, a ton of the record is, uh... scronkily atmospheric holding passage slash sort of nebulously churning riffage that is just very familiar at this point. Um, yeah. And not and loses the clarity of form that the best riffs here have, and also that the best stuff that gets described as mysterious sounding and churning does, like Antediluvian, has very clear cut melodic lines in it, even from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me go to my sample. So this is uh, this is probably my favorite stuff on the record. This is off the end of uh, Bestial Blood Temple of Ritual Predation. Um, so, like I said, the guitarist in this band is also the guitarist in Adversarial, and that got me really excited because Adversarial's last album in 2015, um, uh, Death and... God damn it. I, it's, it's really long. Hold on. <laughs> so I can uh, actually pronounce it correctly. Um, death, Endless Nothing, and the Black Knife of Nihilism. Um, that's honestly probably one of my favorite records of the 2010s. I just go back to it constantly. I mean, it's really one of the apexes of this kind of style. Um, and partly it's because it was a little bit ahead of its time. Um, and there's moments on this where you can hear Adversarial's guitar style come through really distinctly. And I think those are some of the strongest points on the record. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of your sample there is very similar to some of the really good points of adversarial. So let's listen to this one and listen to some more just really solid Black Death riffing and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. 
So a, a lot of those riffs are based off of relatively simple, like, Phrygian phrases. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the method of playing, like, the, the distinct kind of, like, extra rhythmic quality of the right hand work and, you know, just some of the unusual voicings really gives them some more life. Um, so that's another example of, okay, so there's a core of really good straight-ahead Black Death riffing on this with its own kind of unique flair. But why is there just so much time spent on the kind of, like, orthodox noodling? You know, it just... Again, like I was saying before, and not to be a broken record, but whenever that sort of thing happens, it sucks the momentum out of the songs. You know, uh, what should be really aggressive driving music can just kind of collapse in on itself because... It's, it's so clearly searching for a place to go. Like, some of these kind of orthodoxy, cavernous breaks are so conventionalized at this point, we know they're going to happen before they even happen. You know, the, the original intent of those parts doesn't even work anymore because they become such a conventional part of the vocabulary. Well, speaking of which, um, here is a part that I can't decide whether I find it good or annoying. <laughs> um, okay. This is uh, so like here. So this is from Graveless Mass, uh, and as I took the sample, I sl so like this ties into what we were talking about um, before the break with um, uh, with monotonic negativo, which is focused use of repetition, like deli being deliberate about repetition instead of just having repetitive parts because it's black metal, right? Um, this track is as I went back to take the sample, I realized, oh, the entire track is based on this one riff. Um, the one riff is very much in the vein of this kind of uh, ulceradian uh, sort of uh, slippery skronk. Um, but um, let's see what the repetition does, because there's something kind of cool about the way they hammer on it and try to make it heavy.
So, they uh, hang a lot of weight on that riff. How does it go? Yep. That's that's pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly know the riff now. Um, So, I mean... I like this kind of songwriting. Um, they've taken something that would definitely be like a bridge riff, right? Like what you said about like ulcerate bridge riffs, like that is quintessentially yeah. a bridging parts riff. Uh, mm -hmm. And they've made it the main offering, and they do that in part by uh, really emphasizing that slide down at the beginning and like hitting the low end, the low notes hard each time, sort of rooting it in this kind of drone thing. Uh, uh, they give it, the goal is to give it something like the definition and drive of, like, the unholy black metal riff or something, right? Yeah, yeah um, I, I, I get the conceit. Yeah, so the conceit is pretty cool, but when I was listening to it, I definitely found myself just annoyed by the riff. Yeah, because it's us. Look, the the whole like one riff extreme metal song. Mm -hmm. We know that we've all written one of those at one point or another. Um, but it needs to be rooted in something with more body than that. I mean, you gotta think the back half of that riff is just kind of airy arpeggios, mm -hmm. like, and it's really hard to hang a four plus minute song on something that's half very open and airy. You know, I guess, you know, the, the sort of, like, insistent, constant blasting is supposed to carry it through to a degree. But, again, like, the production of this record is also kind of kind of quiet and kind of dry and flat. So, that it doesn't... The blast beats don't really have that thunderous quality to them either. So, it just, it just sounds like it kind of sits on itself, you know? Yeah, it's sort of... Yeah, there's not a... Do do. What kind of interval is that? Do, do, oh, I don't do, know. You're, you know more music theory than I do. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's some very wide interval. It's not. Do 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 do. The I think that they really only go down to the root when they go into the open and airy part. Do 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 do. Yeah. Um. So that thing, it the the riff is very uh almost deliberately hovering the whole time. And, you know, like, the other weird thing is, like, we've heard riffs like that for 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, it's, on the bright side, they're now stock parts of the vocabulary, and we can just take them for granted. On the other hand, then, treating them as the central item of interest is tricky. Uh, you know, riffs like... Th that that specific kind of sound, honestly, um, most reminds me of stuff like uh, Oceanic by Isis, or like the first, the very first Pelican EP. Like, there's stuff like that in post, you know, like, uh, in sludge or post-metal type stuff, even before it was in Ulcerate. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think, um... Uh, looking at the lineup, I get the sense that all these people were more active, like, four plus, five or six plus years ago. Um, 
So this may be people who've taken some time out of the scene recoalescing. They're connected to a lot of bands that were known very well in the early teens and late, uh, yeah, in the early teens and less so now. So like Nuclear Hammer, Sortilegia, I saw Sortilegia live, good band. Uh, Vaymod, band that had some impact and disappeared. Uh, um, you know, Adversarial, again, exactly that time period. Um, so these people are like maybe reactivating, finding their footing. I think there are some worthwhile ideas to develop here, especially on the first song, but I think the band has to work on figuring out what is distinct to them that they want to deliver. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back with our final record of the night with uh, Caveman Cult's Blood and Extinction out on Nuclear War Now. And, uh, you know, like I said at the top of the episode, uh, I wanted to cover this because I've seen Caveman Cult live a couple of times, and uh, I've been pretty impressed by them, uh, just by the, the sheer energy and the dedication to this. Uh, you know, I... We can call it war metal, but, I mean, God, it feels like we call so many things war metal now, it almost has no meaning. Um, How about club metal? Yeah, club <laughs> club metal is good. Um, no, I think... Um, it So it is war metal, but it's referencing stuff more like uh, black witchery, bestial warlust, uh, blasphemy. There's still a lot of thrash in it, and a lot of just, like, simple pounding. There's absolutely none of the kind of like modern orthodox or cavern core stuff uh and what it really sounds like is imagine just a really extreme take on old school like cogamello black thrash um it's just bludgeoning music it's just bludgeoning two minute songs uh you know that thrive on aggression and just kind of like grinding intensity uh, but and that could sound like it would. Oh, well, you sold bit, me. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it could get a little bit stale, but when it's in the context of a twenty-minute full length, it, it hangs together pretty well. So, what did you think of this one? Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, trog-like. Uh, <laughs> there. Okay, that was my second throwaway caveman joke, and now I'm done. I'm done. Uh, uh. Yeah, it, I think it's good. I mean, like, this is... Uh, overall ideas, so... Um, it is... You know, I, I don't know if it has enough definition in songwriting for me to come back to it, per se. I mean, I think with this style, it's very much um, idiosyncratic which bands you're going to latch on to. Um, I get that, yeah. Uh, I think in terms of, like... Uh, but I think in terms of an enjoyable listening experience, yes. I would say it was a little bit slow for me over the first couple tracks. It was like, um, you know, I'm... Cogamello is a weak spot for me. So over the first couple, I was just like, okay, this is sort of, you know, blasphemy, revenge-type war metal stuff. Um, uh, which, again, could be wrong. But um, it sounds generally like that, you know. Uh, and over the course of the record, it really picks up steam. 
Um, that's, I think, in part because, as you said, 20 minutes long. Uh, they know to... I've got some ideas about how this is... I know you mentioned people are calling this Black Death Crust. Yeah, yeah, they are. Don't you just want to, like, remove the tag? I think I want to not use the tag crust for any music ever again. Yeah, no, I don't I, I, I don't care if it's, you know, I, I don't care if it's a fucking disrupt record. I'm not calling it crust anymore. Well, so, so that's what, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's become this sort of, like, totally flabby, flabby, impotent genre tag that gets, like, thwacked on virtually everything. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's one reason I always say stench on this show. It's like, I'm talking about a very specific thing, which is the thing that was actually called crust punk in 1987. I mean, we've right. got, we've got people um, now referring to coffins as crusty now. Yeah, like um, it it basically means, and you know, as we've talked, as I've ranted about, you know, there's a whole generation of sort of like polished commercial sounding hardcore bands from the early, from the late aughts, early teens that were called crust. Um, it's um, it means virtually nothing now. Uh, this band, and like any. Yeah, you. There's another. Even for with punk bands, there's another word for virtually anything you want to call a crust band. So, mm-hmm. anyway, so that that's fucking stupid. However, um, this band does have a very meaningful relationship to uh, certain kinds of minimal hardcore derived music. You know, like D beat, uh, '80s hardcore. Uh, grinding crust, crust grind stuff, or whatever. Uh, there, I used the yeah. word crust, but it was in a compound. Um, <laughs> I, and, I get that. Uh, I get that. And I think I think those strategies come. Th- and I think if you want to make a war metal record in this style that is very minimal, very based on power chord riffing within relatively expected intervals, um, mm-hmm. and short riffs, you gotta do it activating those hardcore techniques for engaging minimalist songwriting. Because otherwise, you're just competing with Diocletian, and they're gonna flatten you every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this band does a good job of doing of of carving out that kind of body music territory. Definitely, yeah. No, the the hardcore is very important to this, um, and especially I think the grindcore is really important to this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I had a moment with a, a bandmate of mine a few years back where we were, I think we were we had just gotten done playing a set and we were hanging out talking about music and uh, he he's not really a black metal guy at all. And I, you know, he's a, but he's a huge, you know, death and grind guy. And I said, you know, there's probably black metal you like. And he was like, well, like what? So we jumped in my car and I just pulled up, uh, I pulled up revenge for him. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he he said, it's one of those things that's like a stupid question that's very smart. Um, he's like, mm-hmm. so w- what makes this black metal again? And I was like. You know, I don't really have a super compelling argument for what makes this black metal and not just a grindcore record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's listen to uh, Violencia Aragada. Um, short songs. We're, both, we're basically just going to be listening to uh, full tracks for a lot of this. Um, and listen to this and think of it as just... What, what if we just played a Repulsion song at 80% speed? And uh, give that a shot. Okay, let's 
it, it's a, going back to the whole crust thing. It, it you know everything is described as crust, but the whole concept of early grindcore seems to have been basically fucking forgotten by like half of extreme music people. Because what this record really sounds like a lot of the time to me is something more like Terrorizer or Repulsion. You know, most mm -hmm. of the riffs aren't really death or black metal riffs. They're primitive, sawing, grind riffs. You know, just these, like, three, four chord arrangements of, you know, the ugliest, most chromatic intervals you could find, um, where the, the quality of the riff really comes out in the physical playing and just, like how ugly the intervals are there's no there's no melodic character to this music you know it's it's not for that uh but there is a tonal character and a timbral character and i think they kind of have a mastery of that in particular the idea of sort of like how you always talk about how there's a subtle difference but there are good d-beat riffs and there's bad d-beat riffs there are good sawing retarded grindcore riffs and there are bad ones and I think Ab these guys mostly have really good ones. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think it's totally fair to say this sounds like grind. Um, uh, 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 was a, a terrorizer is even from the same neck of the woods, right? Um, uh, combination like terrorizers, like uh, it was like a couple guys from Florida and a couple guys from California. So oh, I see. I think uh, I think te Terrorizer mm. is claimed as a California band, but it's really kind of either or. It's a palm tree band. Um, exactly, it's a palm it's a, tree. It's a, it's, a, it's it's a band from Snakeland. Um, yeah, that's fair. The uh, so uh, what um, we, but yeah, what you say about like early grindcore being forgotten? Yeah, and it appears to be a secret that a few of the band's most advanced bands are cottoning on to, like, right, like Concrete Winds, who are cutting edge, seem to be mm -hmm. very influenced by Grindcore. Um, yeah. Uh, or, and we were also talking about this very pure kind of Grindcore riffing that uh, really sets apart, what was that, um, Infernal... Uh, internal what, Rot. Internal Rot, yeah, that's a great band, right? Um, mm -hmm. And... Does that even stand out kind of from other grind? Internal rot does, but it's it's less in the riffs themselves and more in just how complex they can make how those good it is. songs. Yeah, okay, fair it's enough. It's really just a matter of degree. Fair enough, but certainly people outside grindcore have forgotten shit like that. That there is mm -hmm. such a thing as a grindcore riff. We talked about a lot with that internal yeah. rot review, right? Um, and uh. So yeah, I, I very much agree that this band is best when they embrace the non-riff, non-melodic quality of the riffing, right? Yeah. Uh, there is, it is difficult to write black or death metal sounding riffs with this kind of um, tonally restricted uh, power chord style. Um, it's best when you embrace, instead of the classic harmonic minor stuff that all these shitty revenge blasphemy clones do, right? It's best when you embrace grinding dissonance, as this band very often does, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and also where you, instead of trying to write more extended riffs, like Aping Diocletian, where you use the freedom to not write riffs and focus intensely on just kind of actions, uh, so here's another track that really gets into that. This is uh, 
Conquist. This is the first place on the record where my ears, after being kind of kind of bored through the first two tracks, um, on the third, Conquistador de Guerra, my ears perked up because it got super retarded. is sick right and it's mm -hmm. basically not a riff um uh you know um so what they do is that you know they have that sort of you know nasty chromatic thing da, 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 right um and then they just lock into this jackhammer two note phrase over and over and over again and that is not like a riff-directed songwriting thing. That's just obsessively bashing out those chords to create a certain intensity. Yeah, uh, and that's that's where you kind of get the like D-beat or crust in giant quotation marks idea. Yeah, let's say D, yeah, D-beat hardcore. And it's specifically, it's all the hardcore stuff that would have been formative for the early grind bands and for Cogamello, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... You know, there's, I don't know, the, the Cogamel is kind of a blind spot for me, but, like, there's a lot of, supposed to be a lot of kind of undigested hardcore in those bands, right? Uh, uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, so for instance, like, I mean, so, yeah, obviously Discharge, right? But whenever I hear that particular rhythm, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I always think Ready to Fight by Negative Approach. Ready mm. to fight, ready to fight, ready to fight, da-da-da-da, ready to fight, ready to fight, ready to fight, da-da-da-da. Right, that's they're considered proto grindcore, and you know, uh, Napalm Death covered them right on the mm -hmm. on Scum, uh, and also Speak of the Devil disrupt, right? Mm, disrupt yeah. has these sick sick riffs that are like based on Discharge's idea of dissonance, but like, you know, dial it up even more in some ways, and because of the super speed, just make it sound like they're bouncing your heads. You know, like your your Morpheus getting his head bounced off the toilet fast, like sped up. <laughs> um, you know, or like you're standing between two walls and like your head is getting knocked and forth between them, but it feels good, right? You know, <laughs> like I don't know, like just wildly kinetic stuff, um, like running off walls riffs, um, and uh, so this is you know spazzy in a good way, in a way that's sort of like yeah, hammering yeah. and driving, um. And so, they, they, yeah, they do a really good job with that. That's a high-power passage. They run through that a couple times. Um, it works. Uh, now, um, here's the other principle of hardcore songwriting that is at work on this record. 20-minute record, right? Thank God. The band understands the parameters and limitations of the style they're working with, and it's highly economical. But, but more than that, there's this other principle working that's different from and aside from riff-based songwriting, which is just accretion, right? Just 
the more riffs stack, right? Each riff is carrying the momentum of the riffs that came before behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that can mean that the individual riffs can be less important than their sequencing. Um, and that even, uh, and that has something to do with my impression that I, I wonder if, even if I couldn't pinpoint a good part on Conquistador de Guerra, right? Even if I hadn't been able to pinpoint it, there's something about the, the intensity it's inherited from the first two tracks that makes it better. Yeah. Or not even, no, that's, that's a, I shouldn't artificially separate that. One reason it is good is that I think they are writing these songs in meaningful sequence and that the kind of moves they start pulling on Conquistador de Guerra are kind of moves that get opened up after they lay down the basic foundation of the music on the first couple things. And then they start to sort of relax into doing the really dumb stuff. Um, and it's and when they lock into those repetitive jerking grooves, it's coming, it's got already got this barreling momentum behind it. So, uh, a place where that's very clearly marked is just in, you know, in the transitions. So, let's go from the end of the track you sampled, Violencia Aragata, um, into Plunder and Bondage. Uh, Plunder and Bondage is really sick on a riffing basis. Like, for this band, riffy. Uh, however, listen to the transition. So do you hear the way that just exploded into the next song? Oh yeah, it's it's very deliberately arranged. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the writing went into the sequencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, we talked about that before, and that's almost like an older metal technique. Because I remember mm -hmm. when we were talking about uh, incantation in one of the bonus episodes, you talking about the idea of a a song ending in a weird kind of inconclusive riff that concludes with the opening riff of the next song. Yeah, and just also, I mean, I think bands now think about album pacing in a more rote way, and they more mm -hmm. rely on things like filler, like like interludes, or yeah. let's do a slow one, or some lame idea like that, where, um, you know, like Slayer cared a lot about pacing, hence Rain and Blood. Well, I, I think it's more like, um, I, I think that this band and some of those bands that really do care about sequencing 
I, I imagine this is structured so that it can be played as a whole live set, just from front to back. Dude, it really I'd love... It makes sense like that. I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah. No, that'd be awesome. Um, and also, before I forget to mention it, um, how sick is the old school idea of just, like, while the vocalist is doing his regular vocals, just layer in huge, horrible screams at random? across everything the vocals are insane on this record I I think this is one of those bands I believe when I've seen them live I've seen them live only as a three piece I think they've been a three piece for most of their career Mm -hmm. and I think they're one of those bands where just all three members have a mic and you know you've got one main vocalist and the other guys will just kind of scream at random when it feels appropriate Uh, which is great that's how it should be yeah, exactly. Everyone should have a mic and everyone should just be shrieking. Everyone <laughs> screams. In this band, everyone screams. Yes. It's so awesome. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, it's like it. And, you know, going back to that idea of, oh, there's good D beat riffs and there's bad D beat riffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, what separates this from any number of other bands doing similar stuff? You know, it's the subtleties like that. You know, it's like when I talk about Brutal Death, it's like, you know, it's about these weird intricacies that you pick apart after you listen to 200 of these kinds of records, you know? Yeah, it's the sheer intensity of some of these gestural ideas. The beginning of that track, okay, it would be easy to play that less fast um, Mm -hmm. and with less with less groove. Um, You know, oh, that track, also in terms of, like, I mean, a constant reference point for me. Obviously, my gold standard for this kind of music is Diocletian, personally. Mm -hmm. And um, Doom Cult, in some ways, their best record is still Doom Cult. And so some Mm -hmm. of the the, the more sawing riffs on that track are some a very Diocletian gesture, where, like, the technique is somehow doing something really dissonant at the right interval and the right spacing of the song can sound epic just because everything else around it is so just sort of even more grinding. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely get what you mean. It's it's mm-hmm. that study of contrasts that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, so real quick before I get to my last sample, uh, another obvious influence for this band, it's like it's so obvious somehow I forgot to write it down, is going to be Archgoat. Um, mm. And Archgoat are another one of those like quote unquote war metal bands who are basically just a grindcore band playing at half half tempo. Um, they've got the same idea of just these incredibly obnoxious like sawing power chord chromatic riffs, but Archgoat plays them really weirdly slowly. Like you know, Caveman Cult plays their blasts at this like pretty slow tempo but you drop it down another 25 percent and then you've got the arch goat blasts which are just like dun 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 you know oh yeah 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 the the finish half blast yeah that insistent hammering stuff um so i want to go to a track called cannibal feast uh this is towards the end of the record and this is a little bit more on that like bestial warlust war noise side of things but at the same time the riffs are unusually legible for that um, and I think, uh, especially uh, on this track and some of the others, like we just pointed out on uh, on uh, Plunder and Bondage, uh, the crazy vocal stuff, I'm guessing these guys are probably really into Antediluvian, because Antediluvian has a lot of really eccentric kind of vocal ideas mm-hmm. that are used in a similar manner. Uh, so let's, uh, let's listen to this one. 
I like how we both just burst into laughter at that horrible clipped out scream at the end of that. <laughs> that one. was awesome. Oh yeah, it's, it's great, and it's like that's the energy of this band that takes them further than a lot of bands that sound like them. Um, <clears throat> and uh, another thing that I like is that you know we've kind of talked around this on the show before, but the riffs on this record and really this this paradigm of riffing doesn't belong to black metal or death metal. Like, if you squint, a lot of the riffs on that track sound like, I mean, they kind of sound like grinding Marduk riffs, and they also kind of sound like Impetigo riffs, both of which sound kind of like Slayer or Celtic Frost riffs at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. it's like, really, we're just looking at primordial extreme metal ideas of, like you say, you know, the power chord as king. You know, as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, the the fundamental building block of everything meaningful in reality. 